Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. This is a great kickoff to our talk this afternoon. I'm here with David Selinger, and David has had an action-packed life uh, right from the beginning, leaving his uh, uh, home in Oregon and jumping into the fire in Stanford. And so we're talking uh, about the things he's learned that are really duplicatable lessons that give you uh, a stability and a help you build for long-term type success because you can you know, handle your success. So David, thanks for, uh, for, for being here. And uh, that reintroduction was be- so I could start another episode, by the way. Gotcha. <laughs> I forgot to mention, I was going to do that. No worries. <clears throat> so anyway, let's go into how did, uh, I don't want to beat this to death, but there's a thing you've got to realize uh, in life, whether you're going to be in business for yourself or not. And that is you are responsible for yourself. And uh, if, you know, employee, whatever uh, you have to, you can't be blaming people, you know, all these obvious things, but uh, life is a great teacher if you'll let it. And if you'll notice it, but it will not teach you if you don't recognize the obvious that, like you say, uh, it's not that most uh, young people are too busy, have too much to do. You know, it's the fact that they're just lousy with managing. <laughs> yep. And also, you know, one of the key things I, I learned this, this is one of the, one of the cornerstones that really helped me early on was I read in some book somewhere with a key exa- key uh, ability for an executive, an executive is somebody who gets things done, is the ability to say no. And that is something that we all have to be executives in our own life. You know, we're the CEO of what we're doing. And you have to, and this relates to the 13-year-old and whatever, uh, you have to keep yourself from being overwhelmed. You have to figure out what's important to you. And you have to start uh, being uh, reasonable about how you slice up those 24 hours in a day. Uh, and if you're going to make progress towards the things you want, and that's what we do in this, this, uh, podcast is tap into, uh, the thinking of people that have, that have been through that journey, might not necessarily perfect along the way, but they, they learn from their mistakes. There's no way you can learn without, starting something and then say, oh, I had the wrong idea. I may start making adjustments. And so as you got out into the uh, uh, left Stanford and you said, okay, I'm going to go to work. Where did, uh, when did you see yourself getting uh, the cold water splashed in your face and the reality checks started coming? I mean, it was pretty quick for me, right? Because I had I had made this decision not with the entire support of my parents. So my, my need to be financially independent happened pretty instantly, right? So it was, I no. needed to figure out how to get a lease without putting my parents' name on the lease because they were not no. going to co-sign for me. 
I needed to figure out, you know, which which was its own little kind of finagling issue. Um, but but I think the the guiding principle that I found that kind of helped me here was framing that cold water, as you put it, into three kind of phases that I I had planned for my life. And I, you know, like you said, it wasn't a perfect plan, but I kind of thought about my my different phases of, of life in, in in three chunks. The first one being just exposure, because I grew up in a pretty small town. I recognized that I wanted to be exposed to as many different types of people, as many different ways of thinking, as many different types of jobs, as many different types of um, financial environments as possible. <clears throat> I had friends who were from you know multi-generational, multi-billion dollar families. I had friends that came from very poor families. I had friends that came from middle-class families. I wanted to explore what was the experience in all of those different veins, not to judge, but to but to embrace. And that's the first phase was ex exploration and experience. The second phase was a little bit more experimentation. Which of these things do I like and do I want to do a little bit more of, spend more time on? What are the skills that matter in all of those different veins and all those different experiences and start really honing in and developing my skills? And then the third phase, uh, it, it, as you kind of so kindly put it when we started, is me getting old and, and you know, focus. And that's where I'm at now. I went from let's say my impact on the world, I went from being on the board of directors or advisors or founder of 15 different nonprofits to now zero. And I, I, I'm very focused on how I want to impact the world. And, you know, you may say zero nonprofits is bad, but, but just kind of it, it, it does emphasize the point that in this phase of my life, I'm very, very focused. My day is about three very crystal clear things, which is my, my family, my own health, and my work. And I, and I spend almost all of my time on those three things. And uh, in my, whereas in, in, in my early days, uh, as I said, when I dropped out of Stanford to go to dot-coms, I went to three or four or five different dot-coms in like four years. I mean, I, I definitely did the whole, let's experience as many of these things as I can. And I'm going to take different roles. I, I'll do a role in product development, a role in engineering, a role in IT, a role in um, uh, management. And I tried each of those different things to get as much exposure as I could. And in the middle you know, phase of my career, I did two to three year stints at various things, two to three year stints at, at exposure to different types of families, two to three year stints and experiments with developing skills. And so uh, again, maybe not quite the, the answer you were looking for, but in terms of you're always going to have failures. And so designing and recognizing that entire first phase was about experiencing as many failures as quickly as possible, taking them in stride, and then directing them to learn for that next phase. Experiencing as many failures as possible and directing them is that what you said yeah and maybe that's all me reflecting on horrible experiences and, and putting a good line on them but that's uh you know i mean I, I i did get upset at some of them but i did have this kind of view that i am young and now is the time to do as much of this as humanly possible and what if i say give an example of one of those Join a company that's like almost 99% going to fail. Oh, really? Yeah. 
in a job that I have no experience in. And probably no way just to doing, but uh, yeah. And so probably everywhere you looked, uh, you saw disasters, like stupidity, huh? Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't that it was like a bad company. It was just like a really super ambitious company that was going to try to change more than maybe, you know, the world thought it could change. And, and, and that turned out in that particular case turned out to be true, but it wasn't that I was surrounded by bad people or dumb people. I, 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 did, don't, I didn't do that. I didn't intentionally ever surround myself by people that were trying to fail. I surrounded my people that were trying to do more than the world thought was possible of them at a level that was like, you know, intense odds against them. And one of the things to guard against, uh, you know, you have to have big dreams and all that, but one thing to uh, guard against being stupid and, you know, going from a dream to a fantasy and separating that is results. You know, it's just like, if it's not, not happening from the beginning, the way you expect it, and there's no adjustment you can make to kind of get it on that track, then you might need to say, make a bigger adjustment. You know, that, That's right. So, so I, I never spent an extended period of time with people that were, you know, kind of doing the, the, the typical analysis or, 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 or story of banging your head into a wall a million times and expecting something different to happen. These are always dynamic leaders who had successful pasts, but they were just trying to do something really big and ambitious. And that, and I was always excited to be part of that type of, uh, of an endeavor. And again, recognizing that, the likelihood of failure was very high. It was like a bunch of 27-year-olds, for example, who were starting a company to try to reinvent uh, wireless communication. Odds are against a bunch of 27-year-olds because that's an, an industry that's dominated by slow-moving big giants, but they had new technology that was way better and, and, and a view of the world of the future that was way stronger and more valuable. And so, again, it wasn't... I, I, I would caution against taking dumb unfounded risks but but like you said picking people that were were dynamic and excited and had a lot of intellect and experience but valued failure the same way i did if they ran into a wall gonna try something else run into a wall try something else and what uh what how would you describe the difference in the experience for you working for a co companies when you were working with companies like that that were had a big vision had a big plan were having success were moving up versus being on your own as an entrepreneur how would what's the difference there for those of you who are sick and tired of fooling around and are dead serious about wanting to move up fast i've got something especially for you I've combined the best insights from over 40 years in business and making $70 million in income and compress them into a free webinar. That's right. It's a free resource. If you want to find out exactly what the concepts are that I use in coaching million dollar earners, register now at WhiteLOnWinning.com. You'll discover the five-part framework used by so many to reach their financial, personal, and professional goals. You can find that link in this episode's show notes. Um, yeah, I mean, the only really big company I worked for for, for a, a significant amount of time was Amazon. And so that's also like not a fair analogy in terms of big companies, because that's kind of a standout one of, you know, 
five companies that, right. that broke through the hundred billion dollar mark during that phase. But that'd be my only com, uh, contrast. Even, and, and with the biggest... the, even with smaller companies, you know, even with smaller companies being a part of that, but as an employee rather than, you know, having skin. And there's the always company. a they. That, huh? that was the number one thing that I always noticed. Talk about that. What do you it, mean? It, it, as a, as a, a founder and a CEO, what I like about it and what I find keeps me up at night and drives me nuts is that there, there is no they, right? So if, if someone on my customer care team does something that I think is dumb, that's my fault. Like there's just, there right. is no they anywhere in my company and I don't accept that. And I may be very passionate and directed towards one of my employees, but I never fail to recognize that there is a power structure in my company and that power structure requires me to be responsible and accountable for any of the problems that happen at my company. And I, and I think working at a smaller company or, or, or as an employee helped me understand that because I can very directly relate to the mentality of, well, that's beyond my purview. Well, that wasn't my job. That wasn't my role. And if someone who reports into you know three layers below me says, well, that's not my job. I know instantly that's my problem because there's two causes for someone to say that. One, they're incompetent. They don't know their job. That's the obvious one. But let's put that one to the side because that's obvious. The one that I think is more nuanced and that's harder for a lot of entrepreneurs to recognize is that when someone who reports to you says that's not my job and it's identifying a hole, that is either a hole in your management structure below you that they have not defined the process or the areas of responsibility clearly enough so that whoever that person is can do their job. Or they uh, it's a new problem that's just emerging. And it's our job as the management team to identify, track it, and enable our employees to be successful. And again, that's all recognizing it may just be this guy's a schmo and, and he's got to go. But but always assuming that we've hired good people and then always working the problem, always working the problem as a gap in process. And then you may uncover, nope, this one actually is completely covered. That person was trained, the process exists. The other person was trying to do their job. Everybody else did their job and this guy just sucks. Sweet, gone, right? Easy peasy. But you reach that conclusion with complete fortitude if you work it as a process issue. And if you always assume this is mine, let's go figure this out. Yeah, that allows you to have an emotional maturity and stability to your company because you don't have these lapses where you throw up your hand, you're blaming other people and this, that, and the other. I found, David, CEOs, high achievers are just as likely to bitch and complain as everybody else and blame other people, <laughs> except, except they do it for shorter periods of time. <laughs> and you know, this whole idea that the high achievers, they never get mad or they never blow off or, you know, they never, you know, why me, Lord? You know, they don't ever. Yeah, they do. They just don't stay there. You know what I'm saying? That's like, you know, I mean, I recognize it, it for, for me. And so, so I'm, I'm probably in the middle of the functional autism spectrum. And so for me, I have these really neat things that happen where my emotional level will actually get just like you said, it'll get triggered. Right. But what I do is I build in place these catch, catch uh, triggers yeah. that when I recognize, all oh, right, I'm feeling mad at an employee. Cool. Let's turn on our left brain. Let's go from our right brain, sending us a signal that I'm upset about something, send it straight to the left brain and say, cool, 
well, who's the CEO? Whose problem is this? Oh, look at that. It's mine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go. Let's go and just again channel it and direct it. Don't. I, I used to try to control it. I used to say, "Don't get mad," but that's dumb, right? Like that's getting rid of all of your humanity. And frankly, yeah. I find that the emotional side of the human experience is so much richer and in, more intelligent than than the than the analytical and intellectual side. I can detect problems so much faster with my emotional side than I can with my intellectual side. Absolutely. I mean, that's the that's the divine spark, you know, the intuitive side that if you don't let that rolls somewhat, you you know, you need to get mad. I mean, there's certain times you, you know, because you need to get mad. And then it's a matter of, well, who should I be mad at? Well, sometimes it's yourself, you know, because you and put just, up with something. And direct it, get in control, get in control of the mad. Don't prevent it. But, right. but direct it, right? Like, right. cool, I'm channeling that towards now we're going to put a bunch of energy behind X and Y and Z initiative, or we're going to change our priorities, or we're going to, you know, and, and there's examples where, you know, people have kind of blown up like Steve Jobs, right? When, right. when they, there were these huge failures of teams and he just bring them all into a gymnasium and say, all right, so we failed. And the good news is we're going to succeed the next time. The bad news is you're not going to be part of that team. And, you know, and you can dramatize that however you want, but like, you know what, that's actually a, a reasonably great way to direct that type of energy. Like you've watched an entire team fail. I could spend six months and analyze and figure out where that failure is, or I could start over from scratch. And I've made the decision that starting over from scratch is better. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, like, as you were describing, we all sense things that we need to be, you know, that need to be dealt with, need to be improved, need to be done. And you know, you can't do everything. But what happens is when things reach the point that there's an explosion of anger, whatever that's like, now you've got the energy you need to go fix that thing. You know what I'm saying? And somehow you see things clearer when your energy's up on it. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to I, I like to direct it as much as possible Um towards the, the the problem and i find like you said that that elevated level of energy it's not a it's not a bad thing without that right. a lot of times it's almost impossible to tear apart a problem because yeah. the reason a problem exists that you as the ceo are, are tearing apart is because someone else probably poked on it and saw it and then it got resistance and it yeah. Yeah. takes that yeah. extra level of energy to go find it you know we had it we had an example just the other day at, at deep sentinel where we had an analytical report that was, it just didn't quite feel right. And I said, well, how did we generate this? And the person that was responsible for it said, well, you know, I used this system and this. And I was like, well, tell me about that. No, 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 it, it, it's from the system. I was like, no, tell me about it. No, 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 I, it's not mine, it's from the system. All right, cool. Tomorrow you're gonna do this, 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 and this. And if that's not done by the end of the day, you're fired. And it turns <laughs> out, Sure enough, it took that level of energy because that person was defensive about their reporting right. to realize that there was a humongous gap in that problem. And, and that person was going to cover it up because they like, you know, right. that little kind of comfortable report. And then that was going to mean that the problems that that report exposed, right? I'm mean, a very data-driven person would yeah. never get fixed. And it, and it, you, you could tell there were other people in the room that, that came to me afterwards. You could tell there was like an uncomfortable silence. Every one of them came to me and said, I asked the same question like two weeks ago and I couldn't get it fixed. And it did take that extra. I, I'm just, I'm not here to screw around. I'm not here to waste my time. I'm not here to waste anybody's time. There's right. a problem. 
there's a question on the table and if you're responsible for that answer it or go get another job yeah it's just it's like driving a car uh you're, you're heading off the road, you're going to hit a tree. I mean, you know, you either fix it, uh, you know, so you, you're going to get smacked back into reality, you know? And yeah. so uh, uh, it can be painful. Sometimes it'll kill you, you know, that, you know, that's the end of that career, but you've got to be, sometimes that has to happen in business there because there's no uh, perfect ride. And it, the, the, the way to have the smooth ride is not to do anything or just to kind of putter along as a company. You know, it's like, you know, if you want a neat office and you want people very friendly and walking around normally and dress nicely and everything, it's a, it's a company that's in a, in a decline, you know, because they, they, they're managed, their level of activity is something that they've been able to deal with for years and they can comfortably manage it. And if it's, declining a little bit, they can handle it even better. And they look great, but you're going down the toilet. But a growing company, a lot of times you'll have people with their fifth hands around their throat, throwing punches, you know, this and the other, you know, that's why, you know, fights break out in training camp. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And uh, we used to say in our sales forces that we had too many nice guys and we need to go out and recruit an unwashed heathen to throw into the book, into the, who questioned everything that everybody did and rub everybody wrong and pissed them off. So we, there'd be some competition going again, you know? And so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I've, I've mentored a lot of salespeople. You mentioned sales forces. And I think that's one of the most important organizations in a company, because if there isn't enough energy in your sales force to say, this is broken in this product or this process or this support organization. To, to me as a CEO, my sales force is my canary in the coal mine. They're the ones that should always be complaining. And I'm, and I'm just putting them on my radar. And it's when the, when the complaints hit a certain temperature that I realize it's a real issue. And, you know, I've, I've, I've trained many sales forces over the years to, and, and the, the line that I like to use is never go below the amount of energy that's necessary. That's the primary deliverable of a sales organization. Meaning if you have to piss off six people to get something done and you piss off seven, you've, you've overdone it a little bit. But if you only piss off five, you failed everyone. You failed all, not only did you piss off five people, but you failed us all. And so it is more important that you get to sufficiency. And I'd love for you to be as close to the minimum sufficiency as possible, especially some of those people that are like right. really, really overly activated. Yeah damage things but always remember that if five people need to be pissed off to make the customer happy and this is a critical customer those five people better damn well be pissed off because yeah. otherwise we've let down every other hundreds of employees that we have here and that is your job period full stop and if that means that i had to piss these five people off and the process is broken and we don't want to piss them off next time piss them off and then we're going to fix the process, but do not let yourself fail because you have a job to do. And if you let yourself fail, you're letting the company fail. You're letting me fail and you're letting everyone fail. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be pissed off, you know, <laughs> you know, to, to re move to the new level. And so uh, this has been fantastic. Thanks for listening to the million dollar mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. 
Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.